Carnivorous cow, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. <laughs> nice. Hey everybody, everybody, and welcome to an episode of Carnivorous Couch, where we're doing Boogie Nights, the 1997, I think, film? Could be 96. 97. I think it was think shot it was in 96, right. released in 97. Um, the film uh, by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Heather Graham, Burt Reynolds, all sorts of people. Who else, Brady? Oh, let's see. Julianne Moore, Louise Guzman, Don Cheadle, William H. Macy, Mark Wahlberg, John C. Riley, uh, Melora Walters. Um, a shit ton Philip of people. Baker Hall, a lot of the Paul Thomas Anderson regulars who would appear in Magnolia, and uh, who haven't appeared as much in his films now that he's kind of gone in a in an interesting direction. But this was, uh, I mean, this was in his period when a lot of people were saying he was kind of trying to do an Altman thing. He was his Altman-esque period, if you well, want to call it that. Well, this was his second movie. He couldn't quite Is have it? a period yet, right? Well, well but his first in, movie in hindsight, eight. it's... And then thought of yeah twenty dollars or whatever was the the uh, short. kind of vast interlocking ensemble of uh, Boogie Nights and Magnolia mm. get a lot of comparisons to Altman exactly uh, so on this particular episode we have Brady and Rob who you've heard a uh, little you heard a little snippet from Tess yeah Tess is here I'm here and also we have the uh, the Grand Wizard himself <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm present. Grand Lop Tarkin. Yeah, Grand... grand <laughs> Le Grand. <laughs> Le Grando. Maybe I shouldn't call you a Grand Wizard. You're not racist or anything like that. What? Uh, the KKK oh. isn't like the top of the KKK, oh. like the Grand Wizard. Yeah, that's, oh, that's no. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah don't that call people that. Title. Yeah, so uh, apologies all around. Apologies. Yeah, apologies to our audience for hearing me say it and then go, oh, wait, no, that's probably not good. But, I mean, being a Grand Wizard is cool, but, you know, being involved in the KKK is not, I would, I would think, not cool. The, uh, um, I don't know, what do they call Doctor Strange? Uh, I don't the know. The Sorcerer Supreme, <laughs> You're something like that. You know more about that. Yeah, he's like, the, he's like like the sorcerer do. supreme or something like that. So that's what Ooh. you can be, Doctor Strange. Okay. And so, uh, Brady, you want to get rolling? Tricks. Oh, sorry. I mean, no? Brady, you want to go with that uh, plot synopsis? Yeah, and I know we were talking about uh, trying to keep it short because this is a, a long movie, uh, over two and a half hours. And so, what I'm going to try to do is, uh, I don't want to cut anything down, but I'm going to resist describing scenes verbatim. And kind of try to give you a gist. So, because there's a lot of filmmaking on display, which we will discuss later. Uh, but we essentially open in uh, 1977, I want to say, in Reseda, mm-hmm. uh, which with a little bit of research, one can find out is the porn capital of at least America. Uh, the Valley, as it's called, just over from Hollywood where they make the real movies, is uh, home to a lot of pornography. So this is where we will set the movie. We open at a club, and it's kind of, this is what I mean when I say Altman-esque. We have this shot, kind of a continuous tracking shot, that inside of a nightclub introduces us to all of the key players. So we meet a lot of people, but chief among them we meet Mark Wahlberg's uh, table-waiting uh, dreamer, 
uh, who has a very large penis and a dream in his heart. <laughs> and we meet Jack Horner, uh, played by Burt Reynolds, who is kind of uh, the emperor uh, director of a porn em- enterprise. He's a very, I guess, a very big name in the porn business. And so we meet him and his wife, Amber Waves, played by Julianne Moore, uh, one of his chief actresses, Roller Girl, played by Heather Graham, and probably her only really decent performance. Hey, she was great <laughs> on Scrubs. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll give you that. You know, she's kind of touching mm. in her little part in Swingers, too. Yeah, I liked her in uh, the Spire Shaggy as well. Uh, I'm not going with you there. There's something good to look at <sighs> in that movie. That's about where that is. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> so we meet all these people who are part of this kind of universe of uh, filmmaking. And Jack Horner introduces himself to Mark Wahlberg, gets to know him. We learn that Mark, uh, well, not Mark Wahlberg. What's his name? His name is? Well, he plays his alter ego, Dirk Diggler, but, but he's something We might else as well call him Dirk Diggler. Yeah, let's just call him Dirk. Which is the Dirk name he'll Dickler. take on when he becomes a star. And so we get to know that he has kind of a crappy home life. His mother seems to be a pill popper or a hard drinker who likes to belittle and berate her son a lot. And so eventually what happens is he runs away from home after a big fight with her and joins up with Jack Horner's kind of porn family. And that's an important word because this really is kind of a family that we're going to see as they go through changing times. We start in 77 and the movie will work its way through the 80s. And so we get a lot of uh, great scenes kind of getting to know them. We know Don Cheadle's character, uh, who's an actor in the films, wants to open a stereo store. Uh, Luis Guzman, who owns the club where they often go to entertain themselves, wants to actually get to Don Cheadle's level and become a bit actor himself. Uh, We've got Philip Seymour Hoffman, Scotty, who is a gay man who clearly lusts after Dirk Diggler. We've got John C. Riley, who is... uh, John C. Riley is an actor too, right? Yeah, he's a sidekick and all this. He's, he's, yeah, yeah, he's another porn mm-hmm. actor and he's Who, in all yeah. his movies yeah. with him. He'll Dirk. become uh, Dirk Diggler's fast friend. And so, yeah, we just get to know this universe. Oh, another big one, uh, William H. Macy's Little Bill, who is a, a sound technician, I believe, on the films. Or yeah. no, lighting technician. Lighting. Uh, yeah. He has a wife who is a porn actress and who constantly shags other men, which is a... Uh, she shags? Yeah, I did say shag. Is it she a porn actress? fitting for this movie. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be the idea I got is like they oh, probably I met got the on idea the set. that I got the idea that she was like around that circle of people, but that like she wasn't in movies. Hey, I don't know stuff. that they ever say that if she's a porn actress, but you do kind of get that idea. Oh, I, idea I just I thought got. she was just in the. Group. I I think it could go either way because they never say like yeah, if, maybe if you had if been you, one and if you want to think she's just kind of in that universe and not an actress, then I put that's it this fine, way: she's a person very comfortable with having public sex, and uh, my research tells me she is played by an actual porn actress. Oh yeah. Huh. Anyway, uh, and so we get to know them, and it's kind of this story about Dirk uh, being abandoned by his real family and finding this other family uh, in the porn business becoming a big star because, as we learn, he has a very giant cock. Uh, (laughs) And so we see him kind of come up. We see him achieve success. He wins awards within the porn industry. He gets to talk to Jack about making his own films, which are kind of a James Bond uh, porn and, uh, yeah, we get to know them in this way. Yeah, he's very interested in making real films that have story and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, yeah, so we... Yeah, and no, exactly, that's porn. very important, is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of really treating this as 
you know, it may be porn, but these are filmmakers. They want to make films. So they it's about that. They want to make good stories. And, and that so eventually kind of the turning point of this, after we've seen uh, Dirk's kind of rise to the top and gotten to know the family of, of porn actors, is the 80s comes. And with it, kind of a downfall where the family splinters apart a bit. Be, uh, Dirk gets into meth, I think. Or at the very least, a lot of cocaine. I think they're just doing a lot of coke, but... Yeah, no, it's all just coke. Okay. Yeah, there, uh, there's so no mention of meth, but it's uh, all... It's the 80s, it's coke. It's yeah, coke. meth kind of hit in the, in the early 90s. That's when meth became a big thing. Uh, it was okay. cheaper than weed, and people would move on from weed to, you know, something else. And that's when meth became big. Okay. And so, yeah, uh, you know, we have a lot of... A lot of what could be very stock rise and fall tropes, but they're handled with a lot of delicacy here. So Dirk becomes uh, a bigger and bigger drug addict. His ego gets progressively bigger. He eventually splits off from Jack because he wants to be seen as the king of kind of his own destiny. Uh, he goes at it at being a... Yeah, he gets super inflated and he kind of drinks his own Kool-Aid and thinks he's awesome, right? Exactly. Uh, he tries to get a record contract even though he's a terrible singer. Uh, Julianne Moore, her problems with uh, her divorced husband trying to get custody, custody of her child. They go off the rails. So everyone just encounters so you got Buck. Strife. Buck uh, is trying. Buck is this dude who's just kind of around in the sidelines. He's a black guy with a, eventually a white wife, and he's trying to make a, 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 a uh, open a stereo store. There you go. That one. Yeah, he, he's one. He's an actor too. He says. Yeah. Um, and so oh, but the important thing I left out is what transitions us from the '70s into the '80s is a big, well-shot New Year's party scene that culminates with a little Bill shooting his wife and one of her lovers. And then shooting himself. Yeah, and before that, Philip Seymour Hoffman's um, uh, Scotty. Scotty uh, professes his love to Dirk. Dirk's like, "Yeah, man, I love you too. Stop trying to kiss me." Yeah. You know, and he was saying, "I really love you." And I he felt would say, so bad yeah. for him in that scene. That oh, made hey, me wait. so sad. And so, and, and the other thing that happens is we get a scene at the New Year's party of uh, a, I think, a movie producer played by Philip Baker Hall, who's a P.T. Anderson regular talking to Jack Horner and saying, hey, look, you're doing well now, but big change is coming. And that big yeah. change is we're not going to shoot on film anymore. It's video. And Jack is stubborn, nobly stubborn, and says, well, screw that. I'm, I'm not going to give in to that change. Well, that, and that character, you get the feeling that he is the person who buys the films and then puts them out in the theater, does the distribution, stuff like that. And then right. he's got a guy in between that funds all the films, and he's just like, I, I think we've got to go with this guy, man. I think we've got to yeah. go with this guy because... It's cheaper, and this is what he wants to do. He doesn't want to pay the Correct. big budget that uh, we need to do your yeah. film. Thing. So anyway, so. cut to the 80s, though, and despite Jack's noblest protestations, he has given into the video thing because everyone has to to stay in business. And just things in general for everyone have gotten a little more worn down and cheap. Uh, and Jack's films are no longer respected. Uh, he's kind of seen as almost the, the movie plays, interestingly, with this reality TV idea. One of the mo film's most devastating scenes is kind of this reality TV-esque uh, ride in a limo hidden camera show. Or not hidden, but like kind of candid camera where he tries to get people on the street to have sex with uh, Roller Girl. Uh, and it's kind of just this, this more sensationalistic way that the 80s really did kind of take us into. And so, yeah, we get all these kind of downfalls and eventually Dirk and the character played by John C. Riley, whose name I think is Ace, uh, their <laughs> friend talks them into trying to hold up a drug dealer, first scamming him with uh, baking soda, but then it actually turns into a robbery where, where the guy whose idea it was gets shot. Um, <laughs> really well played by Alfred Molina, who uh, 
I was reading about it because I almost didn't recognize him. Not the robber, the, uh, the, the drug buyer. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, well, the guy whose idea it is. He's kind of like a crazy Phil Spector-ish character, right? Yeah, he, he's a real person. Oh, okay. Yeah, his name is like something Jackson. Uh, anyway. But he was a record producer, right? Uh, was he? He might have been. I, I, I just got that feeling. I guess I never say anything like that. Okay. I just kind of like looked at him as kind of Phil Spector. <laughs> I mean, you yeah, know, <laughs> certainly with his love of guns, uh, Phil Spector loved his guns. Well, yeah, guns, and just like there's a crazy Chinese guy lighting firecrackers off, and he's just like, oh, yeah, excuse him, he's Chinese, and like you just have this weird foreshadowing of, of just like, bang, yeah, bang, and he thinks <laughs> something's going to happen, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that scene, but yeah. basically it's, it's this a is very... This synopsis, guys. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> All that is in the plot. So a very tense scene where they... Uh, eventually end up running out uh, with their lives uh, because he's trying to shoot them. And all of it uh, cut over three songs of a mixtape. Right. Uh, I might as well say them. It's Rick Springfield's Jesse's Girl, <laughs> uh, Nina's 99 Luft Balloons, <laughs> and Night Ranger's uh, Sister Christie. Yep. <laughs> and so then they all push... All in real time. And they push the Corvette that represents the... Dilapid- out of gas. Yeah, the, the out-of-gas dilapidated Corvette that represents the dwindling... Uh, you know, of Dirk Diggler, yeah, <laughs> and they push it to, uh, back to, uh, Jack's house. Something Jack. and, and I should say, uh, because we'll talk about this thematically. Not even they; it's just Dirk, because John C. Riley's character right. ends up splitting off and having to run through a backyard. So at this point, we l- we literally have Dirk actually alone. Oh yeah, he just with a broken down car, all by himself now. Yep. <laughs> and he says, "Please help me, Jack. Please help me." And there's then kind of this this tension nothing is said and then it ends with a hug yeah uh th- this movie does a great job with right. nonverbal tension and then so buck uh he's in a donut shop and like the place oh gets yeah, shot up he ends up with some money oh, um plot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, roller girl uh is uh hooks back up with dirk and jack and and them are ready to shoot again uh julianne moore's character still with jack uh was unable to get her her uh husband and there's this kind of theme in that little switching where it's summing up what what's happening to everybody is that you're a pornographer you can't do this you're you were a pornographer there's this stigma right and that's the uh, upcoming you know through the 80s into the 90s kind of thing and uh who else gets wrapped up um uh the one dude is in jail for uh the guy who used to fund all yeah. the movies is in jail for kitty porn the colonel um and let me see yeah and it just ends with uh jack and uh I mean, yeah, I mean, Jack and Derek and Roller Girl getting ready to shoot again. Yeah, the the movie even does wrap up the stories kind of uh, of its characters who are no longer part of that universe. One's the colonel who we get to see is in jail, and then and little John Bill. C. Riley's character is uh, making a magic act. Yeah, I, but I get the feeling that he's still with them too. I mean, they're all still the social circle comes back together at the end mm. and gets redeemed. Uh, like, I don't think he ran off from that night and never talked to Dirk again. No, I think they talked, but I think he just did go do magic. <laughs> he's um, not important anymore. He's in magic. Yeah, and then uh, we even see, we even get a little bit of uh, Little Bill because we see that a loving commemorative painting has been placed on the wall. A- and it is actually the same part of the house where he blows his brains out on New Year's. Oh, uh, the painting is hung over that spot, right? Yeah. yeah. And so then finally we get... Uh, kind of a callback, a reprise to the first moment Dirk acts when he's nervous in his his green room talking to himself in the mirror. And the payoff of it is, of it is we finally get to see his big gift, which is a, a quite a giant penis. I want to say 
13 inches is what it's supposed to it's be? It's supposed to be 13 inches, yeah. And so we, we see a giant prosthetic penis. it's like all flaccid penis. and stuff, so like, can you imagine? What's going on here? Well, well, some penises <laughs> are like as long as they are hard when they're flaccid. Really? Yes. Some of them. Some well, of them don't get bigger. Sizes. Yeah. Wait, that wasn't his actual cock? No, no. That's, <laughs> it's a prosthetic. <laughs> Uh, actually, actually, I think it has to be a prosthetic in an it R-rated in an R-rated prosthetic. movie because it, you can't actually show oh, someone's no. real penis, or you get an NC-17 okay. rating. Yeah. There you we go. Saw load, we saw loads of real tits and some fake ones that were probably intended to be real. All right, way to explain uh, the no, the eighties ones. That, that was video yeah, fake tits and they were on like, purpose. They yeah. were like giant implants. They were they were great. <laughs> Those eighties yeah. implants were great. Anyways, uh, and, and his last lines are, I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a big fucking star. It almost reminds you're a beautiful me of Way star, of the right? Future. And then you're a big fucking beautiful Way star. Way of the Future. Uh, you're There's beautiful right. in there somewhere. Uh, I'm, I'm doing it's my best. It's the same story as The Aviator. <laughs> a filmmaker existing in changing times. So <laughs> let's uh, roll on to this other segment that we like to call The Cock of the Future. So let's start with Grandy, who hasn't had a chance to speak, uh, and see how he likes this movie. Uh, I liked uh, this movie quite well. Um, uh, I, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to appreciate it based on what the premise was, but just the style of how it was shot and uh, the energy that it kept moving the entire time kept me, uh, kept me engaged and interested the entire time. Uh, so I, I liked it a lot. Um, and what letter grade would you give it? I'd give it an A. Very yeah, nice. it's, it's hard for a movie that's two and a half hours long to actually keep my attention the entire time and want me to keep watching. Yeah. And, uh, excellent, excellent. That. Why don't yeah. we roll over to Brady? Uh, yeah, this, and so, uh, I love this movie. This was my first time seeing it, which is crazy because I'm a yeah. big fan of the director. I, I really like Magnolia. Um, I love There Will Be Blood. Uh, I, I pretty much like everything he's done. Uh, I still need to see Inherent Vice, his latest, and I still need to see uh, Hard Eight, his first. But I, I am a big fan of P.T. Anderson. I think he's easily one of the top probably three directors uh, working in the modern age. So this was, I, I was really happy to get to see this. This, uh, Yeah, no, this is just a fantastic, fantastic movie. And, you know, you go ahead and try to compare it to Scorsese, compare it to Altman, but I think uh, P.T. Anderson does something uniquely his own. One of the things that he really does well with this is, uh, in spite of all that energy, you'd think that kind of the drawback of that would be, well, it's really fun, but it kind of, Occasionally it has rough, rough patches because it's moving so fast. But the movie just switches on a dime between uh, humor and just really, really just devastating, gut-punching emotion. Uh, like, I'm thinking of that scene where, uh, where Jack talks to the colonel in prison. He finds out that the guy who's his financial backer has been caught with child pornography. And just the scene where they're talking and he just begs Jack, like, will you at least say you're my friend? And Jack hangs up the phone, and all we focus on are his lips mouthing, are you my friend, are you my friend? Like, this movie is really, really emotionally bracing. And so, yeah, it, it's an absolute A+. It's 
Yeah, it's one of the best movies I've seen in a long, long time. Um, we're going to move over to Tess, but while we are, Brady, go ahead and think of uh, what voice you're going to use for this scene that we're going to do. Oh, I know. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I really like this movie, and um, I've seen it twice and a half now, 2.5 times. <laughs> we did a brush up earlier. And one of the things that I find with it that I've been thinking a lot about since we watched it maybe like two or three weeks ago and when I saw it in college is that I, I often find that it has a few memorable scenes. Like I remember a lot of scenes from it, but like the overall film fades from my memory <laughs> pretty quickly. And I don't know why that is. I'm like, yeah, I remember the pool scene. Or I remember, like, you know, them filming that scene with Roller Girl in the car with, like, a s dude that she went to high school with. Oh, yeah, we like, skipped that you know, in the plot synopsis. Like, we should drop that in. I remember all of these, no, like, oh, see, with his mom ripping down all of his posters. And there are so many scenes in this movie that I remember really well. And then just, like, the whole thing is a giant piece, like, starts to fade from my brain almost immediately. And I wanted to say that before I say how I like it and, and then give it, you know, a B plus B, maybe like a B plus slash B. <laughs> Just because, like, I feel like the story could be more one that I remember as opposed to like a series of scenes that either stick out for me or don't. Um, and that was just like in, in the three weeks since it's been since since I saw it, like I al already forgot like a bunch of the points of a bunch of scenes like that. That scene with William H. Macy, where like it's it's this huge giant scene into the 80s where he like kills himself. And I like was going, I forgot about that moment, you know, and uh, uh, the scene where they're doing coke and she's like, are you my mom? Like, I forgot about that when the first time. I saw it like I remembered really enjoying that scene and then couldn't remember anything that happens in it and then watched it again and was like oh yeah this is like a really good scene but I totally forgot so like maybe it suffers a little bit from just being too all over the place and there's a little bit too much ensemble and stuff going on um, but then I could say the same thing about like Magnolia or any of his films I suppose so um, they're all a little bit like that. It's like a, a, an amalgamation of scenes that you either remember or you don't. So that's my commentary. B, B plus. I really like it, but it's already fading. I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, I understand what you're saying with the, the fading thing. Um, I really like this movie. It's obviously an A for me. Um, it's probably the best movie I've seen seen in six or seven years i'd never seen it before we watched it Ooh, two weeks ago um i then continued to watch it throughout the week <laughs> um and then we just skimmed through it again we kind of went through the whole movie in about 45 minutes just picking out the scenes that we wanted to make sure we saw so we we had them fresh in our minds um the thing about this is it's it's very much uh you know kind of a hugo sort of strategy or um or like you were saying, a Howard Hughes sort of strategy, which is, you know, um, I'm a filmmaker, I'm making this film that's kind of about filmmaking and changing times, but I, it's also about other things. And then in that, I will just keep bringing it back to, so you understand this metaphor, 
I'm going inside a camera now and showing you the difference <laughs> of this. I am I'm gonna take I'm gonna take this camera and put it in a water box so that you realize, oh yeah, you had to do that. You know, it's all about film. Like the entire film is about film, even though it's about these little characters and each person trying to figure that out. And like the uh, the way that they're able to do like these little vignettes, and um, you know, you could watch just the buck scenes and that'd be a good short. You could watch just the roller girl scenes and that'd be a good short. Uh, you could watch just the Dirk scenes, and that'd be slightly longer than a short. But uh, that'd probably be a movie. That'd probably be, be the short yeah. That'd be the movie. 88 minutes yeah. or whatever yeah. that it needed to be. I forget what the exact amount is, Brady. To be a full movie, 62 minutes. Uh, it yeah, was 55, but now okay. it's like 68. Okay, so it could be the 68 movies minutes to be a full movie. So it's kind of like you've got these little movies all within uh, each other, and they stand on their own, but cohesively they kind of just create the colors of a time and then it does fade from your mind like you're saying it's uh i mean think about any think about the transition between the 1990s and the year 2000 like we experienced that we were like oh man it's 1999 it's gonna be 2000 and blah 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 and we're like this is gonna be this huge big deal like Stop playing prince everything's gonna change <laughs> oh, good point um and then <laughs> and then we all just kind of went no, but then just life goes on, and the difference between 1999 and 2000 isn't any different than oh, the 93 between 94. Everything's just a, a slow progression, mm-hmm. and this movie very much, you know, captures that sort I'm of thing. I'm actually going to disagree with that, but we I can talk about it later. I so, A for me, and that's why, those reasons. Um, uh. I just wanted to say in that, I don't, I'm not sure what your hand motioning all are doing, but... um. Production notes. Oh, I just wanted to <laughs> I just wanted to say how funny I thought it was at that like eighties like welcome to the eighties party. You see a lot of people walking around with like sideburns and mustaches and it's like, Oh, the eighties is starting. Look at these guys. But then it's still like ostensibly the seventies in a lot of ways. I just thought the costumes were really well done. Anyway, oh, yeah. how'd you like it? <laughs> well I said A. Yeah. And it but I mean also uh, to that point and to that credit, you know, they very much did hit the touchstones of each year. They yeah. have a 1978 280ZX. That was the yep. fucking car to have in 1970, or, well, 1977 going into 1978. They have, you know, the changing cameras. They have pools, diving boards. They just have all these little things. They have disco. You know, they have the disco floor. There's and then a disco scene. Yeah, there's several, yeah. but yeah. Mm-hmm. Started just, out with one. Just I all the markers of each year are in there. But yep, I actually think that disco seems beautiful. Oh yeah, no, it's very well choreographed and everything too. It's just like oh, thematically beautiful too. Though. Yes, yeah. Um, we'll talk about that. Should we roll into our understudy and we'll come back and do some scenes and blah blah blah. Well, we got to do what's it all about. Well, yeah, but we can uh, do. I was thinking we do understudy and then we do what's it all about, and that's when we're hitting scenes. Okay, we're yeah. gonna hit scenes and yeah, what's it all about good. to be totally frank, right? Okay. Am I just being silly, or is that not actually moving? Okay. Good morning. Very cold last night. 
we missed him. Geez, he swims a lot, doesn't he? Swears. Yes, we're staying in tonight, whatever happens. Hmm, except, hmm. Hmm, except, hmm, what? Except only one of us needs to stay in, really. Uh-huh. And which one of us would that be now, Ray? I thought you didn't like Bruges. I don't like Bruges. It's a shithole. Uh, but I did say I already had a date with a Belgian lady in the Belgian film business, which I did. And uh, I already did say that uh, already about before. Hmm. Just don't get into any fucking trouble. We're keeping a low profile. And this morning and this afternoon, we're doing what I want to do. Got it? Of course. Uh, which I presume will involve culture. Oh, we shall strike a balance between culture and fun. Somehow, I believe, Ken, that the balance shall tip it up in the favor of culture. Just like a, a big, fat, fucking, retarded, fucking black girl on a seesaw opposite a dwarf. Sometime later. Ray, did we or did we not agree that if I let you go on your date tonight, we do the things I wanted to do today? Uh, we are doing the things that you wanted to do today. And that we do them without you throwing a fucking moody like some five-year-old who's dropped all his sweets? Um, I didn't agree to that. But I'll cheer up, I'll cheer up. Up there, in the top altar, is a file brought back by a Flemish knight from the Crusades in the Holy Land. And that file, do you know what it's said to contain? Uh, no. What's it said to contain? It's said to contain some drops of Jesus Christ's blood. Yeah, that's how this church got its name, Basilica of the Holy Blood. Mm, yeah, yeah. And this blood, right? Though it's dried blood, at different times over many years, they say it turned back into liquid. Turned back into liquid from dried blood at, at various times of great stress. Yeah? Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to go up in the queue and touch it, which is what you do. Yeah? Yeah? You coming? Do I have to? Do you have to? Of course you don't have to. It's Jesus' fucking blood, isn't it? Of course you don't fucking have to. Of course you don't fucking have to. So, like the little song says, and uh, like uh, we tell you every week, that's understudy. We each did an impersonation of somebody. Yeah, we say that they're actors, but yeah, they're not always actors. Sometimes they're cartoon characters. Sometimes they're whatever. Um, sometimes they're knights. Yeah, sometimes they're just knights. Boogie knights. Bo yes. Boogie knights of the realm. C correct. Wow. Correct, Amundo. At any rate, um, uh, so tweet us what movie you think that's from and uh, who you think that we're portraying. And uh, uh, well, things will happen if you do that. Good thing. Our Twitter handle is at CarneyCatch. Wonderful things will happen. Okay, Tess, I know, is searching for a beer, but then she's also realized that we're out of it. Uh, well, we are? So you can have How could we possibly be out of beer? Well, did you put all the beers on the top shelf of the fridge when you put them in there? Yeah. All right, there's no more beers left on the top shelf. Don't we have some at home? We do have a six-pack at home, but let's, uh, let's focus, I'm, 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 will I'm willing I'm to focus. You can have this. I'll take it. Yeah, well, let me have one more sip. There will be time for beer. I appreciate a time you. For beer, a time to talk about. Okay, beer. go on. <laughs> okay, so what's it all about? 
Uh, yeah, why don't you start, Grandy? Well, why don't you play that, that drop? I need to hear that drop. We need the drop. We don't have a drop yet. <laughs> we don't have a what's, what's it all it about? All about? We've, we've ne- we just always go, what's it all about? Oh. We've never, <laughs> I've never, I've never actually gone, I, oh, I wow. have, I have one in the works, I've just never, I mean, like, I haven't released an episode in three months. Oh, yeah, that's good. We have we've been so recording all along, but yeah. It's boiler put to me. Because what's it all about? That's beautiful. That could be the drop. So who wants to start us off on our thematic analysis? Uh, I, I, w- I would go with Grandy again, you know. Let's just keep this uh, this rotation going. We go Grandy and we pass the uh, the Ducci on the right-hand side. But then, yeah, okay, so we'll go, yeah, that's yeah, weird yeah. Danny, but okay. Well, that's right, what we did Grandy. for the, 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 how did you like no, it? No, I know, but it's... Well, what I thought it was all about was beautiful filmog- filmography. And having uh, having cool scenes that um, had beautiful camera work, and uh, and then just about like the uh, the the porn industry and and how it likely kind of worked back in the day, where it was kind of like people who were from like broken families, or at least in terms of Dirk's case, uh, could find a family. That uh, was kind of doing its own thing and uh, and forming bonds and and then you know it the porn industry dying as the, or, 80s or the film porn, yeah because uh, I mean the industry boomed oh yeah but, but, but in terms of having looking. it be artistic right and them trying to get it to be more artistic just not really being the way that it went. But right. a lot about the relationships between all the different people in, in the industry and uh, all that. Yeah. Uh, cool. I think that is a, a, an excellent thing to think that it's about because it's definitely about that. It's about that. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Uh, anything, Brady, you want to roll a little bit of what you think? Uh, what do I think? Um, so I will say it is absolutely, definitely about filmmaking second uh, which is good because uh, filmmaking is a fine thing to make a film about but if it had just been kind of this love letter to film I think it would be a very good but kind of maybe slightly academic movie which Hugo is Um, Mm. but thankfully it's about something else first which it knits to filmmaking and that is definitely family this is a movie about the importance of family about the importance of community and uh, I'll go back to that disco dance scene. It's just a quick scene of, of the people dancing. That in microcosm for me is kind of what this movie is about, which is this unconventional community, which really is a family in its own right, kind of dancing through the decades. It's about their dance. It's about, and think of each and every scene, especially the really important ones. The opening pool scene, the very, very opening scene in the nightclub where we meet everyone. Uh, the New Year's party and the eventual coda where they're finally back together making films again. It's about this unit kind of undulating and flowing around each other. And it's really more than about, it's about any plot. It's about observing the family and how important it is for these people to be together. And I'm going to actually try to relate this to a film we did a little earlier, The Station Agent. And I remember saying something I like about that movie is the stakes in it are just these three people, how important it is that they meet each other, and the conflict is the moment where maybe it looks like they'll fall apart, like they'll fall into, um, I guess, entropy would be the word. Uh, 
and that they're universal burst apart so that when they finally come together it's this small thing but it's it's huge it's the hugeness of relationships i think is is a very important part of that and so this is kind of like that but writ very very large and mythic uh, where the station agent is completely intimate and focuses on a few people being the family that comes together this is an entire giant universe filmed with all the filmmaking mm -hmm. panache you could ask for but really at heart it's all about just the simple joy of these people need to be together it's important for people to have a community and mm -hmm. so yeah that, that's what i think the film's about cool right on uh Tess? so I, I think that at the same time that you could say this is maybe like about a thing like family there's so many different storylines going on that I I'm almost hesitant to say that I think it's about any one thing. I think it's about a, a lot of things, and each story is about a different thing. Uh, you know, I think that there's, like, a family element, certainly. Um, there's, like, a price of fame, struggling with your own ego storyline going on. Um, there's a story about the change from the 70s to the 80s, which is like a very specific time frame. And uh, as Brady, Brady put it as like, and he's been doing a project where like he's watching all the videos from the 80s and stuff and like everybody gets lost in the 80s. It's a lot about that. Um, I think there's like an excellent storyline uh, that's very, br a lot of brief storylines like uh, with, uh, uh, what's his name, Buck? Oh, yeah, the Don Cheadle like, character. you know, do the ends justify the means? Um, there's an interesting story about, like, uh, you know, what equals consent that goes on with uh, both, um, I want to call her Molly Clock, um, <laughs> with Roller Girl and, uh, you know, Dirk Diggler, like, has this brief prostitution moment in the same thing. So, like, it's about that. Um I don't know. I feel like there's so many things that it's about that that are going on in it that it's impossible to say it's about any one thing. So what's it all about? It's about the 70s. It's about the 80s. It's about human interaction. It's it's about so many, so many things. Um, I could just talk about scenes all day and never come to like a con concise conclusion about what this movie is actually about. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, it's all right if I go. Yeah, go. Uh, I'm done. So, um, yeah, no, it is really hard to boil it down. I, I mean, I think one one of the the things that it's just kind of, you know, itching beneath the circuit, the the circuit, um, the surface of it, is uh, just this idea of, um, well, as far as pornography goes, um, and as far as California goes, and as far as this lifestyle and this glam and this and that goes. Um, you've got this, uh, everybody seems to be like kind of like a wounded child or a wounded mother or a wounded brother or a wounded father, right? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of this family, this crazy psycho family, um, that's all made out of other people who, you know, couldn't hang and, uh, couldn't and hang. well, they were destroyed by the, be able to hang. They were, their relationships were destroyed by, uh, uh of their family, uh, of origin were destroyed by kind of, you know, they're not fitting in with where they came from. And so they all went to a place where they could all come from. I mean, you've got Dirk Diggler. Um, you know, he's got alcoholic mother, kind of, I don't know, codependent father, obviously, because he's not really willing to do anything. And, uh, you know, very much talking down to him, like, yeah, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. Scene, 
Um, and so then he goes to some place where he can be appreciated, and like Jack, kind of becomes his father. Um, you know, and Jack's kind of a, a son to the investor who like is always working with him, and and kind of has that same sort of uh, relationship dynamic as uh, as Derek uh, does with him. You know, so he, that guy's kind of the grandfather, and he's just kind of, oh, you know, you know, he's like the grandfather. Well, I mean, just the idea that he like, I mean, we should all hate pedophiles. But he was definitely moved by that more, uh, I think. It, like, how much he was moved by that was definitely highlighted, right? So he's in this weird pornography sort of system, but he's really moved by the fact that this guy is a pedophile, right? Yeah. He seemed more, like... Disgusted. Disgusted. Yeah. Simmering like with rage. No, but that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah, like but yeah. he would have beat the shit out of him if there if wasn't could, right. glass At the same time, him. he, like, enlists the 17-year-old. Right. Kind of yeah. But it's not just disgust. Film. It's it's uh, the betrayal is what we I, I see on his face. is just, oh, God, I love you, I, and I, I mean, have to part my ways with you. The reason I'm bringing that up is I'm kind of bringing mm. it back to he's probably damaged in some way. There's a reason that he's in this, in this industry, so forth and so on. Roller Girl, same thing. She doesn't seem, she doesn't seem to have a mom, right? She wants Julianne Moore to be her mom. Will you be my mom? Will you be my mom? I'm going to ask if you'll be my mom and you're going to say yes. Right, exactly. Because, you know, her family of origin, she didn't have a mom for whatever reason, either through abandonment. We, we don't, don't know. We don't see her family. We, we see, don't know, we but the her. fact that she asked Julianne Moore but to be her mom yeah. would lead you, us to you believe can that. Get, right. you can yeah, yeah. had to have come from a broken home. From the scene. Right, and yeah. then like uh, John C. Riley's character kind of plays his brother. You know, it's all these people hanging out here all the time, being involved, and they can't seem to get away from it. Even when Dirk splits off from Jack, you know, like uh, the Scotty character is still following him around, even though he knows that he'll never love him back and blah, blah, blah. He's yeah. kind of already blown that, right? Uh, the John C. Riley character is still following him around. The Don Cheadle character. It's this weird fucking dysfunctional family of people who kind of got kicked out by their family of origin. Or also, and then furthermore, because they're involved in that family, society then begins to turn their back on them and say, well, you're a pornographer. You can't run a business. You're a pornographer. You can't have, a son, uh, you can't have your son back. Y- you yeah. know, all that sort of stuff. So it's this weird thing where, I mean, I think that's what it's about. I think it's about um, kind of difficult circumstances bringing people together and then because they got brought together into a system uh that was looked down upon the whole thing kind of repeats itself over again where society now shuns them even though and that's the only thing they can do is be in in their new family that they've chosen but that's my psychological bend on things i always look at things that way but interesting um yeah I'm with you, even though I'd probably scale back myself on the amount of dysfunction. I mean, obviously, these people have a lot of dysfunction. Like, you think Moore's issue with her custody and, you know, the fact that maybe she probably isn't ready to be a mother to an actual young child. And so they are dysfunctional Mm -hmm. people, but I find the family unit itself exceptionally functional. And I think it's what the film hammers down on is, like, this is everything. This is the island in the storm. And stuff happens to them, namely the 80s. Uh, <laughs> the 80s happened to a lot of people. But, but the family itself is, is rock solid in a way. Right. But mm, also society mm, doesn't think it is. I agree with you that. Know? Uh, but it's the only place they could go. They, like they can't leave the family because the place where they came from doesn't have a place for them. And any place that they could go, no, nah, you're coming from this pornography family. You can't be here. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that a island stigma the attached thing. to it, yeah, but, and, uh, I don't know, like, nobody, 
<laughs> that like I, I've been thinking about like the, the juxtaposition between like the scene with Buck trying to get the loan, like a very legit venture, and then um, Dirk trying to get that music the, the <laughs> music tapes well, from the guy, and they're getting really violent and angry. And he's just kind of sitting there going, look, if you want me to fill this out again, if there's anything that I missed, like, just tell me. And like one of these avenues is legit and the porn industry gets brought up. And the other one is just like some fly by night bullshit almost, it feels like. And they're getting all in this guy's face and like, just like, we're so coked up. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> well, you know, it, it just like I, I thought those those two scenes were like really interesting looks at like the different routes that people are taking and the way that people are treating them and the, that the porn industry never got brought up even in Dirk Diggler's case. Well, like, Dirk just know. wanted to stay famous and yeah. be big. Uh, the other guy, who I don't remember the name of, he was trying to settle down and yeah. like just live a life. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the other thing, it's interesting that you juxtapose those two scenes because the, the film does a, goes out of its way to kind of juxtapose that scene with Dirk Diggler prostituting himself with yeah. we're making video history in the back of the limo and, and you know and so the way I look at it is I mean it's kind of saying like look your past determines your future <laughs> like that whole triple threat uh, intersplicing mm. sort of scene is like your yeah. past determines your future. It's weird that in a movie that juxtaposes almost everything, I would juxtapose two scenes that weren't together. I think that's but very I interesting I, I, I and did, valuable. I did, like, in my mind, and especially since we were, like, fast-forwarding through, I went, oh, God, these two scenes are, like, really interesting together, and they're not together. Right. Like, they're just not. Well, like, it's another testament. <laughs> what would happen if they were? <laughs> it's another testament to how the film is, like, a series of vignettes that make over, yeah. make up a larger story. So, like, you can remember each in, in vignette and kind of think of it on its own. Like, just that character, just that scene, just that conversation. And you can get something poignant out of those short moments, which, yeah. you know, which is what makes Paul Thomas Anderson's filmmaking so good. It's what he does. He's like, each shot is a piece. Yeah. Yep. Um, but at any rate, uh, there are other things that it's about, too. I mean, we all, we all did one, but I'm, I'm sure people have ancillary things that, like, uh, it's about film, Brady said. Yeah, no, it is about film in a lot of ways. It's about uh, kind of, uh, there's a movie that I highly recommend by Truffaut called uh, Day for Night. And it's just about, you know, kind of like this, a group of people, like all the filmmaking professionals, the directors, actors, script people, mic operators. And the idea is they're making a movie. And you kind of get the sense that it might not be a terrible movie, but it's probably not going to be a very good one. <laughs> and yet it's still about like, well, who cares? Like the point is a lot of work and heart and emotion and backstage stuff all goes in to the making of even the shittiest piece of art. And so I think Anderson's doing this with porn and saying like, yeah, no, you might see it as disreputable, but these people really, really put a lot into this. There's a lot that goes into making any film. So in that way, it is a love letter to movies. Yeah. I haven't seen Day for Night, but just the fact that it's called that um, kind of you know, creates this sort of low-budget idea because the, the term day for night is means that you shoot night scenes during the day yep. and the way that you deal with the camera in order to, like, kind of do it on a lower budget faster and not really have to worry about lighting. Right. Is yeah. that the, the one where they're trying to get the kitten the kitty, to yeah. act? Yeah, I mean, the title's, <laughs> kind of a, the title's kind of a reference Aww. to just, like, all the goofy little magic tricks that go into film. Like, 
one of the scenes is just like an actress won't come out of her trailer unless she has this very special cheese <laughs> and they don't have it so they have to fake make gourmet cheese and just like ah, now we're doing this bullshit uh kind of nice. like there's that episode of 30 rock that talks about like yeah no you, this is all messy you have to do like really strange random things to make a film and it's all those little pieces that you never see that actually make a, a movie what it is. Do you guys remember some episode of a TV show so where um, somebody had broken a very fancy bottle of wine that was like of a vintage like 20 years before or something like that, and then it was like a friend of theirs who like pours you know cheap wine into it and then like you know adds a bunch of different color and tincture to make it. How did they break it? They just knocked it over or something. Oh, okay, like it was that. an accident. This is like a sitcom, yeah. Okay, it's it's like uh, you just you just never leave you know ashes around. I, I feel like your this family is members, <laughs> otherwise they're gonna get fucked up and <laughs> mixed with shit in the fireplace sitcom bullshit. Yeah, well, no, I feel like this is a show that was just. I'm trying to think of what show it would, but yeah, totally unrelated to everything else other than Brady talking Frank about uh, making the making the cheese. Frank Miller, no, not Frank Sin Miller, City. no, no, Sin City. Like what were what were Franklin Jeff Franklin Productions? Was it a Jeff Franklin production? I don't know. I want to say it's not Full House. It's later than that. Maybe it's <laughs> Step by Step. I don't know. <laughs> it might be Will and Grace because the thing is they all drink it at the end. It, I don't know. Uh, but Who watched Will and Grace? Uh, I watched I, a little. Yeah, I watched it with my babysitter. I watched a couple episodes, but anyway, Will and Grace, everybody. Will and Grace <laughs> under fire. <laughs> days yeah. before the internet. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I guess... Uh, but uh, the only reason I thought of that was because you brought up the scene with the uh, Brie and, and trying to make the special kind of cheese, like, and trick her into thinking this thing. They were trying to trick this person that this was this old vintage wine, and the whole thing goes through, and it was like, you know, it was fine. And the moral of the story was at the end, you didn't feel fine, and then the person told the truth, and they're like, oh, that's okay. And, <laughs> you know, and then it was just like, you should have just told the truth instead of going through all this grief. Did. Was it Spin City? I could imagine Michael J. Fox doing that. Maybe it was Frasier. Oh, man. <laughs> Could have been Frasier. I, I know that the person who oh. mixed it all up was old enough to drink wine. So. Well, yeah. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about... We want a little bit of conflict, so let me see if I can goad anyone into defending a position that I disagree no, with. No, you're wrong. Exactly. There, that's the spirit. <laughs> all right, discussion over. <coughs> no, um, <laughs> I, I'll, uh, I'll come after something Rob said. Uh I don't think that this movie uh, takes the view that, you know, in the end there isn't any fundamental difference between the decades. It's all just people doing this and that. I mean, I think it does come back to a place of like, well, you'll find your way home again. But in this movie's view, uh, kind of like what Tess was saying about, I do believe that lots and lots of people just lost their way in the 80s. Uh, very talented people. Bob Dylan, Neil Young. Rolling Stones vanished and never came back, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and so I think this movie, far from viewing it as, well, time's just a label, thinks the 80s is an absolute mythic, epic, biblical fall from grace. Yeah. Uh, and well, and yeah, which no. is why it's punctuated with a man blowing his brains out. Right. Like, and it totally is because, like, also, uh, you know, it's going to film and then everything's just trash and crap. And like then there's that scene with Roller Girl in the in the car, and it's just like we're gonna make history. Blah, 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 blah. We're like we're gonna move fast. We're gonna keep going, keep going, keep going. And it's just like, this is stupid. Fuck it. Like, yeah. Leave. Even well-meaning people can give in to cheap trends and just like 
Yeah, and we see Jack at well, one point. Jack like, even not wanting to. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. I guess I have to. See, I told you this was going to be shitty, and now I'm shitty, too. If oh anyone yeah, line sums it up, really it's sad. Uh, just fuck her in the ass. Yeah. yeah, that's my favorite. He's, uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> she's, fu- she's like, <laughs> she's just like oh. yeah, I'd like him, too. And he's like, just fuck her in Fine. the ass. This Fine. is what we're doing. Okay. By the way, you, do you know what that Johnny Doe scene is when he's got like got the gun to her head and, and she's like sucking his cock and stuff? That's like a Roman, like, you live or you die based on how good the blowjob is. What? Uh, that's what that that's what's happening in that scene. And it's gone so far as like now that is the opening to Love Line. Um and it's become like kind of a, a phrase that people say to each other, which is it's like a greeting on Love Line. Like somebody calls him and goes like, Oh hey Drew, hey Mike, you live. You live. Like, that's what they say now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but at any nice. rate, like, they played it at the opening, and, it, you know, it's just him going like, oh, yes, bitch. <laughs> yes, bitch! You live! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is kind of a bit and bob. Uh, it ties back to the family thing. But since we did just mention uh, the part of the movie where shit goes haywire, and we mentioned that uh, car scene with Roller Girl, and I don't think I mentioned this. It ends with them beating the shit out of a. Oh, by the way, bro. this is a spoilerful podcast. Yeah, this, this <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, so Heather Graham in roller skates stomps the skull of a douche bro. Yeah, uh, we don't even know if he lives. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, one scene I really like. Yeah, how do you survive that? Yeah, here, wait, wait, wait. So a quick shot that I really like that totally, to me, reinforces like the value of family theme is at the same time it's cross-cut with Dirk it's you know trying to prostitute himself and he gets jumped by a bunch of homophobes and beat to shit and so all this happens simultaneously and at the end of both scenes we get this moment where the limo with uh, jack and roller girl drives away and we see that kind of pan over these things are happening astonishingly close to each other which to me just reinforces the idea like oh my god you guys are right there and yet you're not like in this moment you guys are apart like you've fallen into your own orbits and everyone's just fundamentally lonely. And it, it's, it's just a cool, quick, non-verbal way of reinforcing just the drama of, of people falling out of each other's lives. Anyway, I liked it. Yeah. Um, let me see. I was trying to think about uh, like other little filmic tricks that, that Paul does, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson does, to, to be very poignant. Like w- when we were watching the initial porn scene he does this interesting thing where like he starts with uh you know through the film gate all right so now you're seeing this stupid uh kind of low budget low qual 16 mil uh version of this you know minolta camera camera with a rock or lens uh by the way don't worry dude you're inside of a camera it's okay (laughs) but then he also starts to blend it back to um like you know there there are basically three shots in this there's the shots of the people watching um so there's that wide shot, which he'll pan around and, and cut to back and forth. There's the... Which look very filmic and professional, right. by the way. Yeah, this yeah. is, this is uh, sorry, it, this is, it's 1997. We're making a film about the uh, 80s, and this is very, you know, it's this widescreen anamorphic lens. You know, uh, everything's in focus, perfect. Yep. Then you've got this viewfinder thing that looks kind of trashy because you're looking through a viewfinder, basically. And he's got two different kinds of those shots, actually. He's got the actual viewfinder, and he's got just the film gate version. At a certain point, he brings us into the camera to show us the magazine running out. But he also has this other shot, which is full anamorphic, very close up. Um, but he's using the kind of, like, 
handheld. I'm so close up. I got a freaking change. Somebody rubbed Vaseline on the lens or something. No, it's like not, it just it no, looks just, like it's just it's just low budget film style making where like you yeah. constantly are adjusting the uh, the depth of field yeah. to keep everything yeah, in focus. Yeah, it's, it's like trying like, to keep in focus and like not really do like it does look you had to point it out to me but it does like i can see it once i'm like looking at it and going god this is really does look it looks the same as like the viewfinder in a lot of ways yeah like so just so that cheapness so it's this weird like intermediary uh shot and, and like what that i think it's kind of trying to bring out is like this is a turning point right this is the point where Derek's becoming the thing and they're going to become a thing and uh, these films <laughs> are going to become good. Well, no, their <laughs> their production team is going to become a thing. Dirk's going to become a thing. This is the turning point where we go from really low budget bullshit to still low budget bullshit, but a great thing. Um, then, he's, then he's starting to win awards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he's using this this kind of these three different camera shots. One that's very professional. One that's very gritty and like inside a camera, and one that's uh, you know in between that you know, yeah, non-diegetic, and it's yeah. showing us to kind of show this transition between these three things. It's becoming something. But then it's, it's a moment also, of transition. I feel like it's a way to, like, show what's happening in the actual film without showing us the actual porn, which you can't do. Like, you can't have that full view of, like, the little viewfinder and show the actual sex but it's, like, to show us the actual sex and show us what you're seeing in the porn without actually showing us it and that's kind of like part of how i was reading it is like yeah. oh it's like showing us the porn but it's showing like extreme close-ups on their faces and like their reactions to right. it rather than right. like you know the money shot or like a full body view of them just going at it so maybe maybe so the whole thing isn't that this is a, a testament to uh, paul thomas anderson's planning and that, that he figured this all out beforehand and blah 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 maybe he just shot it and he, just, he knew he had to work around this but what he did with it by the end of it, he did something very poignant with that scene, the way it's put together, the way he uses those camera angles that he did end up having, and the way he processes everything in order to create that sort of effect. No, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a valuable thing. I, to I if I have an interpretation, or at least it's something <laughs> that it makes me think about that I like, is we get, you know, as you say, we get cutaways to the cheaper style of shooting. And that, to me, is to remind us, like, okay, you know we're doing porn, right? You've seen a porn. <laughs> yep. Come on, no, no prudes here, hands up. We've all seen a porn, it looks cheap. But then cutting away to these much more mythic, close-up, intimate shots is, is kind of uh, coming back to the film's point in a way. It's like, yeah, it's porn, but like huge, huge issues of human emotion are happening. And so think about that the next time you watch a porn. Think, do those people know each other? Is that person a dear friend or a surrogate to that other actor? Yeah, does it feel good? Like, it, yeah, and, yeah you and, and that's it the whole thing. It's like, don't worry, I'm fixed. Like, you oh, yeah, and then she goes, I want like, you to come inside me, yeah. right? Because I want to have that connection with you. Yeah, yeah so, like, like, but this, you don't know from the movie, but, like, this probably doesn't happen all the time. Like, they don't go into that, but, right. you know, they clearly have a connection. Yeah. So, I, uh, could I transition to a scene? Sure, of course. And, and kind of, in its way, uh, if we're talking about digging below surfaces, I want to talk, uh, and in uh, one way very literally going below a surface, about the pool scene, uh, which to yeah. me is probably the best scene in the movie. I, I might call that my best scene in the movie. And what I like... This is the first pool scene. Yeah, the first pool scene. And w you know, we were talking about how he had to do that water box thing to follow the girl into the pool, and all of a sudden we're looking under the water at all the bodies swimming. And to me, that's not just about technique. 
to me that's that's kind of like your Eden uh, and and you know very clearly the film comes back to literally that set at the end when they're all shooting a film where are we back when we finally come through all the strife we're back at the pool and to me what that scene feels like is take a photograph of just the most perfect day you can remember and you know it's just one photograph it's two-dimensional but you know it you lived it and when you look at it you're like yeah but behind this was uh, this guy and, and this guy threw up at this point and over here all this was happening so it's almost like plunging into this perfect sun dappled photograph of what family and home mean and to me going into the pool is just like yeah and like even under the surface of a pool you'd only see it you know flat in a photograph but all this stuff is going on in this one perfect moment and it's when everyone feels most at home and they're all with each other and happy and a family so i i really like kind of the the very nostalgic uh sunny feel of that it i feel like emotionally it's trying to suggest what belonging feels like yeah i mean there's there's an interesting thing because you know very much in the 70s like especially in california Swimming and being in pools as 17, 18-year-old things, that was, like, the most luxurious, awesome thing you could do, right? Like, if you're a poor person, right. you didn't do that. There mm-hmm. wasn't really a community pool for... There wasn't YMCAs and stuff in the 70s in Van Nuys, you know? Like, there might have been in New York, you might have been able to go down to the Y if you paid your dues and belonged to the club and blah, blah, blah. But, you know... This was a luxurious thing. And so what this is is like this bright sunniness and people having fun. But what we get after that, after a couple of those uh, kind of party scenes where everything's going great and grand, is we get this shot under the water during daytime. And we do a slow dissolve to as day turns, day fades to night. And um, the, the light underneath the pool comes on. So here we are under the surface of this world. And we're transitioning from day to night. And this is when things start to go you know, clunky and weird, and, and again, the 80s come around, this transition happens where, you know, it's a fall from grace, basically. Right. What is that thing that's rattling? I think it's the chair. Well, um, I don't know, ha- do we want to cut away to do a game, or do we want to keep talking? I mean, I mean, I think we're I about wrapped up, say, but, but we just well need to finish saying what we got to say. Can we do final thoughts after a break? Oh yeah, do you want to? You guys want to take a break and then yeah. uh, do final thoughts? Okay, sure. Yeah, uh, seems amicable. Are we cutting away to a game or? No, nah, we'll just take a little break. I'll throw in some music here. Maybe I'll write a song. Can it be like NPR music or? Boogie like nights. <laughs> oh, not the boogie. I thought maybe I'd just write a song this week and then I'd be like, here's a song that I wrote. Uh, to listen to during this break, and we'll be back with final thoughts. <laughs> that sounds like NPR. Uh, mm. We're going to go for a moment uh, to uh, a message from our sponsor, George Barnett. Um, he's 17. He's very British. He's recorded and an album, uh, and he wants to show you some of it. It's about topography. So we'll be uh, we'll listen to a song about topography, Hello. and we will... Uh, We'll have a chat about uh, the history of that. And uh, that's what you have to look forward to after the break. Hello, I'm George Barnett, and this song is called Topography.
everybody, 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 Watch the movie. Watch the movie before uh, listening to us, because it's a lot more interesting that way. I mean, we're interesting on our own, and occasionally I bring up a stupid TV show that I can't remember the name of that nobody else recognizes, but uh, it's better if you know what we're talking about. It really is. It would be, if you knew what we were talking about. And as for always, you know, you can always go to our website, www.carnivorouscouch.com or Carnivorous Studios. Where there are other podcasts as well, poetry, music videos, um, blog posts by me. Hey, how do you spell carnivorous? C A R N I V O R O U S. There you go. He goes on to the next round. Zam. So, yeah, let's talk. Uh, what was one of the scenes that you guys wanted to talk about? You, you well, I did want to mention the one where. Uh, Dirk, I'm not sure if we learn his real name. It's like Johnny or something, I don't know. But uh, he comes home to uh, to his mother sitting alone in the dark in, in the living room or the landing, drinking, and confronts him. And there's a big giant scene where he, you know, tries to leave and she tells him that none of the stuff in the house is his and kicks him out without, you know, just the clothes on his back. And it looks like when he comes in, the way that it's framed, that she's he's coming home in the middle of the night, and she's sitting there in the dark waiting for him. Right. And uh, when he leaves, it just is broad daylight. Um, and then he goes straight on to that pool scene, basically. And uh, I just thought that was, like, really interesting filmmaking, and that that you get this impression and then it's like 86 as soon as you see the end of the scene. Right. Going from the, the darkness of the home life into the day of like the brand new world. The, uh, because the whole thing that she's telling me is you're stupid, you're stupid and you'll never do anything. And he's like, I'm not stupid and I'm going to do some shit. And you know, it's kind of him walking out into the cleansing bath of sunlight, right? Oh, well, I mean, you, I, I hadn't even thought of that. I just thought it was interesting that you go, you go into the scene with, uh, the expectation that it's this uh, like almost cliche like she's been sitting up waiting for him to come home in the middle of the night yeah where where have you been were you seeing that <laughs> whore like and it's like it's the middle of the day it's yeah. probably saturday like yeah. who the fuck cares <laughs> but i mean and it also goes back to the point of like you know the dysfunctional family uh, in which he didn't have a place right mm-hmm. um and uh another weird moment in that scene that i want some opinions on is that during this confrontation it cuts randomly to i felt randomly to the dad sitting in sitting in his room alone also in the dark just kind of listening to this and not uh not interjecting and not getting involved and i almost felt like well this isn't really part of his story but maybe they want us to understand that it is well i mean i I think that was just look there's more than one victim here right yeah the whole dynamic of Family, family, and like the dad's a victim to this too. And I would even maybe uh, theorize that it's not the dad per se, but the new boyfriend. Oh, possibly. Yeah. Their their dynamic is very like at the breakfast table, like, 
No, like, yeah, so how, how uh, are you doing? So, like, she's a single mom, and then she's got this yeah. uh, stepdad, Her, or yeah, it's not his son. I mean, I don't even mean to say it has to be new, but, like, probably, like, an outsider in a way to the to the family unit, so he just doesn't get involved. Right. Mm. Yeah, oh, I can see that. That's that, a, uh, that makes it make more sense to me, because, like, you'd feel, I, f- I feel like if it was the, fo- like, what's going on in this situation that, like, the dad isn't getting involved, but then maybe it's because it's not his dad. It's possibly that. I mean, like, this scene is really hard for me to watch because I grew up in kind of a situation like that. My mom wasn't an alcoholic or anything like that. But, you know, like, um, the idea of, like, the dad not getting involved or kind of standing passively by, you know, my dad is my dad, and that would still kind of happen uh, in abusive situations or whatnot. So, um, I mean, the thing that really registered to me about it is, like, you know, like, this is a 17-year-old kid, right? But, you know, she's a pretty diminutive, small woman. Uh, is that the right word, Brady? Diminutive means small. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's frail-ish. You know, she's not... Yeah, no, I mean, she's not she's not short and slender. Right. Not imposing. Right. And the thing is, is, like, if you wanted to just, like, get crazy and, like, punch her or something like he could. You know, he's got the physical well, he upper hand. throw her against the wall. Well, and yeah. And, and she, that's like, th- flips out about Well, that's the too. thing that I'm trying to draw to it. It's like, she starts tearing up his room and behaving really violently and it's like, you know, uh, you gotta give props to Wahlberg in that particular point because it's like, I don't want to hurt my mother but my mother's being a bitch and, like, I'm trying to contain myself. This sort of thing. It's like, I could really hurt my mom right now and I'm just like... And he's, you know, trying to be very defensive and going, like, why are you doing this? Why are you saying these things? That's not a very nice thing to say. You know, and he's kind of trying to deal with it in a very mature way, like, more mature than she is at the time. Like, you know, he's like... a lot. Yeah, like, when when she goes, like, you've seen that whore? He's like, why would you say something like that? You know? That's a very mature adult way to handle that. And, um, you know, and you see him kind of get dragged into almost her arrested adolescence or whatever that is that she's going through. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's very volatile and stuff, much like a 17-year-old should be, and he's trying to be, you know, not that, and trying to contain himself, he's trying not, not to hurt his mom. Either, right. but, he's, not, he's not super mature, but, I mean, like, you know, he's not... He's trying not to be volatile, basically. Yeah. And, and then she dr- drives him into it and basically just goes... Right. And then he goes, well, I'm out. <laughs> But, like, he runs away, so he doesn't hurt her. Yeah. There's a lot of it, too. It's like, yeah. N- am I right in saying that he never goes back? Yeah. I think, I think no. yeah. We he don't never goes we back. Don't He's got a new family, family ever again. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a new family now. Yeah. No, he never goes back. And okay, so that's a scene. And I, I want to talk about the, the drug deal scene just because I don't know what thematic meat we're going to locate there, but it's such an incredible piece of acting and filmmaking. And... What I love about that scene, I'm talking about the drug deal gone bad with Alfred Molina, where they try to rip him off uh, very close to the end of the movie. Yeah, it's Dirk Diggler, his sidekick, played by John C. Riley. I can't remember the name. Do you have it? Oh, it's like Ace? Yeah, Ace, and uh, then this this guy that they met at the 1980s party, which is telling, too, because he's kind of the crazy one. Yeah, he's introduced He's the there. 80s bad influence, and he's very oh yeah, 80s. he's got the, the mustache <laughs> and the sideburns. He's like one of those guys. And the leather like jacket and the tight red shirt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It kind of looks like, uh, this is random, but Adam Sandler's friend and the wedding singer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It sounds like a bad influence to me. Dirk <laughs> should have never got involved with that fellow. Right. <laughs> 
Um, so at any rate, it's those three, and then they go to this guy Alfred Molina's house, and in that room is uh, a <laughs> big black drug bo- dealer Alfred Molina, <laughs> a big black um, bodyguard wearing a bathrobe, and uh, a, a Chinese you know, youth Chinese celebrating youth the New Year's by lighting fire, just lighting firecracker after like firecracker, like chain smoking firecrackers, basically. basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not even like tying them into a chain and lighting them off in a big celebration, just idly lighting one and, and so you just have bang 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 and everybody's just jumping <laughs> except for alfred molina yeah right. and this is uh this is actually really cool like i hear the way they engineered it was they even let molina have earplugs just to make sure like he never reacts everyone else flinches but uh molina is like just totally used to it so that because what that's what i love about that scene among other things is he's completely comfortable for as insanely like paranoid on edge the scene is for the viewer and for Wahlberg and and Riley, uh, Molina just gets to have total fun, so he's not on edge at all, uh, which uh, really lends a, an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and and like and there's mm. also the irony of, for him that he doesn't know the dramatic irony that he doesn't know that this is bogus coke. Yeah. And they don't even know that, like, this third guy wants to go get shit out of a floor safe. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and no, I, I just, I really like how many, like, I mean, we're talking about it as a scene, but it's really multiple scenes, like, knitted into this one scene. You know, you've, yeah, you've got, like, well, for one thing, you've got three songs that tie it together. So it all takes place over the course of uh, Sister Christian. Motoring. And then Jesse's girl, and finally the shootout culminates with uh, 99 Love Balloons. <laughs> and so, like, you've already got three different songs. But you've got so many different beats. You've got the actual robbery itself. You've got this really interesting moment that, to me, harkens back to uh, Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where we just watch Wahlberg completely silent. Like, his face just kind of, like, He's just thinking really hard. And you're like, yeah. What are you thinking should, about? Should I get out of here? Yeah. yeah. Should I stay? Like it, should you know, I get out of here? There's that should moment where... How long? Yeah. Five more seconds. Five more seconds that we can go and it's legit. Or, or whatever There's actually it is, yeah. a moment well, in I that where he's, he's so still that had it not been for the music continuing, I would have thought like that the frame freeze. Right. Yeah. Like, well, he, to he's me, just so well, also like, it kept freezing when you were trying to watch it. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but the music would have stopped if, right, if it was exactly. freezing. Right. As a theory, it looked like it was, but it wasn't. Like to tie it to to Nicholson and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I better explain that. Uh, very pivotal scene in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest where the Nicholson character is going to escape. Uh, he's all ready to escape at this nighttime party that he's thrown, and he just sits there by the window. He's having a conversation, and you know it's time to go. And he just kind of smiles at the window and, and just looks and does, doesn't go. Like, for what seems like eternity, he doesn't go. And we cut to the next scene, and he ended up not escaping because of his hesitancy. And I almost think it's Wahlberg, like, really staring into the abyss of, I could really destroy myself. I have brought myself to a place where, like, do I want to destroy myself? Is that why this is happening? Why am I still sitting here? Right. The longer I sit here, I could die at any minute. But yep. I'm still sitting here. Wow. Yeah. And then there's like the the other interesting thing about the getaway, and we kind of touched on this in the opening plot synopsis, but the getaway is in the smashed up uh, Corvette that he bought when, you know, and he, he got all his money and he bought this Corvette. And that's the last thing that he has left of, of his, you know, meteoric rise 
to, you know, the most in-demand porn star with the biggest cock. Uh, cock I just want to make sure of something. Yes, this is a giant cock. Um, and the car is now smashed in. still runs, but it's impotent, impotized, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's out of gas. They can't even get they're out like of there. They're rolling it, Because it's yeah. out of gas. So they're rolling it down the hill, and it, it's, you know, that's when John C. Riley runs off uh, his own direction, and he's just kind of chasing this symbol of, you know, his once had success down the hill and then eventually has to push it back to where it came from. Yeah, it, it's a spectacular way to go rock bottom. Yeah. It is literally the bottomest you can get. <laughs> Alone with an impotent cock car. <laughs> uh, <laughs> narrowly escaping with your life from a drug dealer. Right. Nice. So... Another moment I love is him singing You Got the Touch, and he's so bad. You got he's the touch. He's so fucking horrible. You got the touch. <laughs> you sound a lot better than he did. The uh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was no, really, like, bad. he's so bad. <laughs> um, well, and then the so other bad. moment is, like, can we, like, talk about what a good actor William H. Macy is all the time? And that, like, he's he has that actor. one line, and, like, I feel like it's almost all him. Is like, he says... My my wife's over there with an ass in her cock. Yeah. And like my wife's there with an ass in a cock in her driveway. It, he says uh, it without missing a beat. Yeah. I'm sorry like, if my thoughts aren't on the photography yeah. of the film. Yeah. And and he doesn't he doesn't flinch or like I feel like that was all him. Like there's and I was talking about this while we were rewatching a little bit of it, is that he has a line in Thank You for Smoking that's that's feels kind of like that, just him kind of being an awesome actor is like, he's like. Have some respect or class, or I can't remember. I think he's like, have some class, and like cuts out the swear word, and it's like almost more powerful the way that he says it to right. like, mm. I'm not gonna swear at you, but have some fucking class. Yeah, no, it's just like he's such a uh, like a wimpy character that it's yeah. just like, it's just like, wait. <laughs> This is me getting angry. Yep. Like the most polite. It's like it's yeah. like basically Gene Wilder <laughs> in Willy Wonka. I said good day, sir. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I said good day, sir. It's like the worst thing he could say to yeah. somebody. Yeah. Well, Gene Wilder is way more a badass than than William H Macy, really. Yeah. But William H Macy is a phenomenal actor who I don't no, think really good. gets his due and has not yet. But eh, it's he's an Oscar nominee. Yeah, but for, for supporting, for I'd like to see him Fargo? in a lead role. Yeah, for Fargo. Oh. I'd like to see him in a lead role. Um, like a movie that's all his own. Like the cooler was good, but you know it was, was a little. Okay. It was a little I, indie. It was a little indie and a little choppy and a little and a little long, up a little, its own ass. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't horrible. It was just. You know, no, it's a I'm movie like, that really earnestly wanted to be good. Right. And that was and kind it, of a and problem. It, and it was trying really hard to, you know, do a good I know, job. And it was using a, a very good actor as, you know, the main thing. Just didn't come all the way together. He's like a character actor. He's a supporting actor, but he's always very good. Yeah, but he is good enough that he could do a lead role. I think. Very oh no, he absolutely could. Like I mean, like if Sandler can do it in Punch Drunk Love, you know, playing that same kind of diminutive character, role. you know. Yeah, I see right. it. Well, Jen. Put him on the podcast. You can put it on speaker. Put on speaker. Oh, I can't do yeah, speaker. Can. Well, I. But he can't hear me. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, we're in Rob's garage. We're just wrapping up the podcast. Anything you want to say? Uh, yeah, you're on the podcast. Say say something. Uh, say something good. What movie did you watch? Uh, Boogie Nights. Oh God. 
What's your opinion on Boogie Nights, Jack? Yeah, what's the oh god? <laughs> what? Uh, you you get to see Julianne Moore and Heather Graham's boobies. I thought Julianne Moore's side boob in real life is shaping me. That's wonderful. <laughs> Unfortunately, you don't get to see Philip Seymour Hoffman's boobies. Yeah. But you can't have everything. Okay, yeah, uh, uh, momentarily. Yeah, yeah, we just got to talk about what we're doing next week. Hey, do you have a suggestion for what we should do next week? He hung up. No, he hung up. Uh, he definitely had a suggestion. I'll say he it for, for sure him. He has a suggestion. And it's Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I am so down with that. Um, but he won't be on the cast with us either. Mm. Oh, he won't? I mean, that's that's my whole thing. I'm like, we'll do it. We'll do it if you're on it. Oh, maybe I'll ask him. I'll ask him if he's actually on Yeah, well, okay, so that's something to be considered for next week. Well, not... Let's say it's to be considered in weeks to come. I want to say... Let's decide what we're going to do this week. Yeah, we'll decide what we're going to do, but if Jed says, okay, yes, next weekend we'll do Lawrence of Arabia, then we'll we'll let you know. We'll just split... We'll just just postpone whatever we decide on for a week. All right, fair enough. I suggest Lady and the Tramp. All right. Uh, I want to see another doc. Me too. I'm going to suggest uh, a little bit of a cheat, a mini-series about three and a half, four hours long. The Jenks, uh, I'd, I'd really like a to... A TV show sounds like a special to me and not an actual episode. No, it's just a long movie. Lawrence of Arabia is four hours, for example. But it's a mini-series. The Jinx is a mini-series. And it's, it's not a four film. and a half hours long. It's what I suggest. Okay. Uh, so my suggestion is uh, Montage of Heck. Because it just, it, I've seen it, it was on HBO, um, but it was just released in theaters, again. So, not again, actually, just for the first time. But, um, but you know, it's very much being talked about, and I'd like to talk about it while everyone else is. It'd be cool to be doing something that's currently getting its resurgence, it's in its rebuff. Grant, do you got a suggestion? Uh, yeah, I also just one of my favorite uh, Jim Carrey movies. Uh, Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind. Nice. That's yeah, this is one of my favorite Jim Carrey. It might actually be that. my favorite Jim Carrey movie. We did a. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's my favorite. We did a rank well. it on top seven Jim Carrey movies. Wow. Definitely my favorite Carrey, just not my favorite Carrey performance. Oh, that's what it was. Carrey performance was the top seven. Yeah, mm. that's rank Which it one? number seven. Uh, my favorite Carrey performance is Man on the Moon. Where Good. he's uh, uh, Andy Kaufman. Okay, does anybody have oh, any other suggestions they want to put in? Or are we just doing one apiece? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Okay, I'm going to go with Eternal Sunshine. I'm sticking with Lady and the Tramp. Uh, I, I'll go with what Brady said. What's Brady say? The Jinx. Uh, so now it's Brady's choice. Wait, so am I allowed to vote for my own? Yeah, yes. I voted for my own. Fuck it, I'm going to be selfish. The Jinx. Boom! Well, I don't have to go to the so screening to be able to comment on this. Yeah, and I don't seen it. Twice. And then I can't always veto because, you know... And me. You're the president what, of the United States of movies. I just don't know if we can do a miniseries. We can. It's only four and a half hours. What's that like? It's as long as Lawrence of Arabia. One sixth of a day. There's seven days. I mean, probably the idea would be that we watch it a different day than we cast it. Chad is waiting for you. All right, we can do the jinx. That's fine. All right, and an outburger's waiting for me. Is it? Oh, did you bring it with him? No, no, All we're right. gonna go. Oh, that bastard! It's one of those things you do. I love.
not even a proper setup. It's just we only talked about hamburgers and rock. Oh, you bastard.